get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Powered by Schnucks. Eat good to feel great at Schnucks on 101 ESPN. 803 on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. The time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And thanks to our friends at Schnucks for bringing you Carriker and Smallman. Who do you think was the first person to decide that sea salt and dark chocolate would be a good combination? I don't know, but they're a genius. They're smart. And I thank them for putting that combination together. I, Randy, you cook a lot. Yeah. I love to cook. I am under the impression that you could make something and it could be terrible and you could sprinkle a little mold and sea salt on top of it and it would be infinitely better. Okay, I got to tell you something. My wife, who's spectacular, she's, uh, she's retired now, but she used to get up early in the morning. And since I, we started doing this show, she's getting up early in the morning, and I've had an omelet every single day uh, made for me. That, uh, must be nice. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> One of the omelets last week was uh, banana and chocolate sauce, and it was delicious. With eggs? Yep, and it was delicious. I would have never dreamed that it would be good, but it was good. See, I'm weird about eggs. Sometimes I I, am too. I'll would, go for, like, I, I can't eat a ketchup on eggs guy. Oh, see, yeah, that grosses me out too. But I could do hot sauce on eggs. Uh, yeah, I can do that, too. I like hot sauce on an omelet. I can do that. What's your hot sauce of choice? Do you go super spicy, or are you more of a mild guy? I'm more of a, totally a mild guy. Same. When I used to eat a lot of Taco Bell, and I still like it, but I can't eat it. But, yeah, uh, so, like, I would uh, give blood, and my blood was, like, the same consistency as Taco Bell mild sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Taco Bell mild sauce, though, is awesome. It's really good. Okay, you had a dream last night. We got to hear this. So I came in this morning and I asked Colin and Randy in the studio here if they were having very vivid and strange dreams during this quarantine period. Because it feels like every couple days I will wake up and it feels like I'm still in a dream and I can remember everything from that dream. And they're so bizarre, these dreams that I'm having. So the one that I had last night, I fell asleep watching an episode of The Office. And as we know, Jim Halpert on The Office, notorious prankster. I had a dream that Jim from The Office, not John Krasinski, Jim from The Office and I were hosting a pranking show on TV, kind of like a punk. And his target that he wanted to hit on the show was our boss, our general manager here, John Kiowski at Hubbard Radio St. Louis. And I didn't want to do it. I was like, listen, that's my boss. We can't we can't prank him. And he was like, no, we got to go for it. The higher the target, the better the payoff as far as the show. And I was like, all right, I get it. And John, our boss here, loves red wine. It's something that we share in common. And in the, in the dream, we switched out his wine in the bottle with some terrible tasting beverage. And he got really mad and figured out that it was us that had pulled this off. And I was furious at Jim because I was like, I told you that this was going to be a problem. I can't believe you did this. And I woke up like, what is this dream that I'm having? So we were talking about it. Colin and Randy, you guys both said that you have not been having weird dreams during quarantine. And I Googled it. And it turns out that Harvard did a dream survey during this time, and it has confirmed that people are having more vivid dreams around this time, that it's not unprecedented. It happened around 9-11 as well. That's really interesting. I don't, uh, I'm not really one that remembers my dreams. I know there's a lot of people that do have vivid dreams, and the fact that you remember this so vividly 
is great. But I, I I think it probably is the way that you're wired. I just don't think that I'm wired that way. To If I wake up at 3 in the morning with a dream and then I fall back asleep, there's no way I'm remembering it. Wow, really? Yeah. Well, according to this study, because I was curious why so many people might be having these vivid dreams and remembering them, it says that if you're having stress and anxiety during the day, that it can lead to more negative content in dreams. And I don't know about you, but if I have a great dream where I'm, you know, chilling on the beach, drinking a pina colada, I'm less likely, I think, to remember all the details because you wake up and you're kind of happy and then you go about your day. If I have what I consider to be a tough dream or a scary dream or a nightmare, that seems to, the, the memories of it and the details of it seem to sit with me more. You're fine because John Kioski is the second biggest prankster in this building. Good to know. Yeah. I'll get Jim on the line. And Brad Thompson is the first. I didn't know BT was such a prankster. What's the biggest prank that he pulled on you or on the fast lane? Uh, The best thing that he did was he, uh, and it's really not a very nice thing to do, (laughs) but he uh, loosened all the bolts on the chair that Mike Ryder sat in. (laughs) Mike Ryder comes in and sits down and the chair just falls to pieces. He got it! Uh, You know what? Uh, DeMarco can probably use that excuse because DeMarco busted through a few chairs when we were together. Yeah, he did. So, Michelle, you had me... uh, put together this list, and I won't do all of them because it is kind of long, but it is amazing when you think about all the bad luck the Blues had leading into last year, and why we thought the way we thought after Game 3 against San Jose last year. We'll have the hand pass game tonight for you here on 101 ESPN, but it's the curse of Scotty Bowman. It was. 1970, Scotty Bowman leaves the Blues and goes on to win nine Stanley Cups. Mm. Nine. He won five with the Canadians. He won one with Pittsburgh. He won three more with Detroit. Then his successor, Al Arbor, is fired by the Blues, goes to the Islanders and wins four Stanley Cups as their head coach. Kind of cursed. Defenseman Bob Gassoff, who would have been a Scott Stevens-type defenseman. He was a great young player. Died uh, at 23 in a motorcycle accident uh, during a team outing. 54-goal scorer Wayne Babbage tears up his shoulder in a preseason fight the year after scoring 54. He was never the same. Ralston Purina leaving the franchise on the league's doorstep, deciding, we just don't want to be involved with hockey anymore. So they literally just put the franchise on the league's doorstep and said, here, you take it. And like somebody who doesn't want to baby and the, the what is this the, little fires everywhere yeah and they they <laughs> they, they didn't even have they, they didn't even draft the league wouldn't they the, there was one blues employee one representative who went to the 1983 draft and the league would not let them draft so they didn't have a 1983 draft Wow. Yeah. Harry Ernest bought and saved the franchise for St. Louis. It was going to be purchased after Ralston Perry, and they did that by a guy named Bill Hunter, who was going to take them to Saskatoon. Harold Ballard, the owner of the Leafs, said, no, you're moving a team to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And uh, so Harry Ornest buys the franchise, saves the franchise, but he didn't have cash to pay players. And so he traded Hall of Famers Joe Mullen and, Mike, uh, and another great player, their goalie, Mike Leute. Doug Wickenheiser, former number one overall pick of the Canadians. The Blues get him into trade. He's just coming into his own. He's going to fulfill that promise. And the team's out on a snipe hunt. He falls off the back of a pickup truck, tears up his knee. And he was never the same after that. Uh, Franchise icons Barkley Plager and Dan Kelly die way too young because of cancer as well. Wick wound up passing away because of cancer. Doug Gilmore gets in trouble with the babysitter. And the team is forced to trade him. And he winds up being a Hall of Fame player. Trouble with the babysitter, yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, 1980-81, the team is rolling towards a great season. They've got the best record in the league. Ron Caron trades literally the team's second line. Cliff Ronning, Sergio Momesso, and Jeff Cortnall, along with defenseman Robert Dirk, to Vancouver for defenseman Garth Butcher, 
Inventor Dan Quinn completely upending the chemistry of the team. We know how chemistry is in hockey. It's crucial. And that was a massive trade that just did not go well. The Blues signed Brendan Shanahan, and the league inexplicably awards Stevens to New Jersey as compensation. The year before, the Blues had given up five number one picks so that they could give compensation to Washington because they signed Stevens as a free agent, gave up five number ones, signed Shanahan, and then Stevens is taken away by the league. And he winds up winning three Stanley Cups in New Jersey. Uh, Shanahan has an affair with his best friend and center, Craig Janney's wife, forcing the team to move one of them. And Janney is the guy that gets traded. And Shanahan and Janney's ex-wife are still husband and wife, by the way. So that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. After winning the President's Trophy, they lose to San Jose in the first round. The series' turning point comes with defenseman Mark Bergevin throwing the puck into his own net. In a game against San Jose. A flu ravages the 2003 team. They're up 3-1 against Vancouver. Just completely eviscerated by the flu. And they wind up having no energy and Vancouver comes back to win the series. 1996, Mike Keenan trades for Wayne Gretzky, then insults him by railing against Gretzky in the dressing room after a playoff loss to Detroit. The Blues pull a three-year offer to Gretzky off the table, but the damage had been done. He had already decided, I'm never coming back to play for this guy. And Gretzky leaves. Who does that? Uh, to the greatest player of all time. Who does that? Unbelievable. In those playoffs with Gretzky here, Grant Fuhrer is run into by Leafs forward Nick Kiprios, tearing up Fuhrer's knee and ruining the Blues' best chance to win a Stanley Cup to that point. More. 19- I was just going to say, are you done? No. My God. 1998, against the Wings, Dmitry Miranov hits a uh, slap shot, hits, hits Chris Pronger in the chest. Prongs literally dies on the ice, and they have to bring him back to life. Uh, his heart literally stopped. Pronger came back, but the Wings won the series. Then four years later, against the Wings in the playoffs, Prongs tears an ACL. And a Wings team led by... Former Blues, Shanahan and Brett Hull, and defenseman Steve Duchesne and coach Scotty Bowman, they eliminate the Blues and win the Stanley Cup in 2002. I mean, a lot of these are really brutal, but that one stings really badly. 2004, the Blues fired Joel Quenville. We mentioned yesterday, he went on to Colorado for a while after that. Then he goes to the Blues' biggest rival in the division, Chicago, and wins three cups with them. I'm not here to talk about the past. Yeah, we are. Uh, (laughs) Bill Laurie decides to sell the team. He dismantles the team uh, right before a lockout, and he trades Chris Pronger right as the lockout ends. Pronger goes to Edmonton, leads them to the Stanley Cup Finals. The next year, wants out of Edmonton, goes to Anaheim, leads them to the Stanley Cup Championship, then goes to Philadelphia a couple years after that, leads the Flyers to the Stanley Cup Finals, something that he could never do in the prime of his career here in St. Louis. Uh, And then the Blues, of course, blew the 3-1 leads against Chicago and L.A., and that's when Mm -hmm. Doug Armstrong famously said, you got to take the knife, jam it through their eye, into their brain and kill them. So that's what I was thinking after Game 3 last year. All of that stuff. While you were despondent going home, I was wallowing in misery, thinking, oh, here we go again. Randy, I don't know how you could ever believe for an instant that they would win after after that laundry list that you just gave us right there. A lot of bad stuff that happened to that Blues franchise. So you had, as a sports fan, you had Blues trauma. I mean, that's not just one instance that you look back on and you hang on. Like, when I look back at the you know the sports tragedies of my life i think about the 2005 Illinois basketball team and you know you can credit to the finals right but you can point to one yeah. reason or another why they didn't win the championship game but i was heartbroken that these are actual tragedies yeah. this is trauma randy blues have the number one pick in the draft in 2006 eric johnson has a really good rookie year 
And then in a golf, another team outing, golf outing, he uh, gets his foot caught between the cart and the curb and tears up his knee. Is never the same for the Blues. First pick in the draft. And they could have taken Jonathan Taves, by the way, oh. with that pick. So even, Randy, in Game 7, after the Blues had scored, you know, let's say two of the goals, did you feel like in some way the Bruins are going to come back and win this thing? No, because of Jordan Binnington. And it was because of Bennington in the first that I had so much confidence in the third. And then when Sanford scores to make it 4-1, you mm-hmm. knew it was over, and it was awesome. Did you start? Did you allow yourself to celebrate at that point, or did you wait until that final horn sounded? No, I celebrated when, when Sandy scored. And then when the—I got a little—I uh, hyperventilated a little bit, though. And I, I remember your dad. You had the, the uh, video of your dad yeah. breaking down. Um, I didn't do that, but I hyperventilated a little bit. My eyes got teary. It was awesome. You didn't cry, Randy? After all of the things you oh, just listed off, you I, didn't cry? I got misty-eyed. I didn't have tears rolling down my face, but I, I, I did get misty-eyed. Wow. There was a lot. And your, your dad and I are the same age. We went through the exact same stuff. So yeah. It, there was a lot of people, uh, so many diehard Blues fans, and Blues fans that literally died saying, I'll never see a Stanley Cup. And I thought I was one of those guys. I thought... You know, I'm, I'm never going to see them win a Stanley Cup. That's why I promised at your behest, by the way, thanks a lot, <laughs> to uh, get a tattoo if they won the Stanley Cup. Randy, I proposed it because I l- never thought it would happen. I literally like never thought it would happen. 2012 or something, right? Yes. <laughs> but you know what? God bless the broken road that led us to that cup. Because yeah. it's that much... It was... The team earned it, but the fans, they earned that as well. So, All the things that they lived through, they earned that Stanley Cup championship. Those are some uh, dreams and nightmares from Blues history. Coming up, our buddy Bernie Federko, Blues Hall of Famer, Fox Sports Midwest. He'll join us on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. The Blues booth presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. The home show sale is going on now at Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Update your home with savings on all types of flooring, including solid, reclaimed, wide plank, and more. Visit one of the showrooms in Crestwood, Manchester, St. Peter's, or online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, great floors for every home, with better selection, better value, and the best service. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. It's 101 ESPN. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And our friend, Blues Hall of Famer, Fox Sports Midwest analyst, Bernie Federko, is with us now. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Randy. I'm doing very well, thank you. Good. It's great to have you with us in the Blues booth. Bernie, in our last segment, I just ran down a litany of uh, heartbreaking moments in Blues history that you were uh, you lived through. And uh, going all the way back to uh, the, the untimely and tragic death of Bob Gassoff and your close friend and mentor, Bark and Dan Kelly, and all the things, you trading guys, Harry Ernest trading guys. So... With all of that heartbreak that you endured as a player and somebody who's really tight with this franchise, and you, you wear the blues, blue note on, on your chest, what was it like for you last year when Sanford scored that fourth goal and you knew they were going to win the Stanley Cup? Well, you know what, it was, uh, I, I think a lot of memories came back, uh, you know, uh, you, you think of uh, just the guys you mentioned, all, of, all the, the people that were such a big part of the organization for so long, I mean, Bark was a, a mentor of mine, uh, obviously from the start, I was able to, you know, to start my career uh, under Bark as coach, uh, and, and then, you know, with the great Dan Kelly, who called, you know, all the games that, uh, I mean, so many people understood and learned the game of hockey from Dan Kelly, so, um, you know, Wait, guys like uh, Doug Wickenheiser, and, and of course, you know, you, you just mentioned Joey Moan with the trade with Bobby Gasol. I mean, that's, I think that's, 
the, the one thing, Randy, that I think we all, uh, it's a team sport and, and it, it takes everybody to win and everybody tries their hardest to win. And, uh, you know, it takes <laughs> the right breaks. It takes a lot of great things to happen before you finally do able to win. And I think uh, when, once that happened, um, you know, when that final buzzer went, I think it was a, uh, just a lot of memories that came back. And, and, and I think a lot of thankfulness that uh, it finally got happened. Uh, the, you know, the, the big thing finally happened for the St. Louis Blues. And the reason this came up, Bernie, is because we're going to air the hand pass game tonight. And as I'm going home, and I think as a lot of Blues fans were going home after that game, they're, they're going through all of those things in their head that have happened to this franchise over the past. Yeah, I mean, uh, you need the bounces, and but I, I really, you know, when I when I we all look back at that game, I mean, it was it was ridiculous that, that it wasn't called. Uh, uh, but I mean, there there is human error, obviously, in, in any game, and I think maybe that we rely so much on the video uh, replays now that we you know we believe that things like that shouldn't happen, and they really shouldn't. But uh, I think that Craig Berube handled that so well. I mean. So be it. Uh, you know, it's the breaks of the game. You know, you wait for the next game, and hopefully, you get a break and you get a call or a makeup call for something that happened. And I always really believe that, even watching the games, ready all the time. Um, and a lot of people get sour over uh, a missed call or a call that's made. They don't like it. Well, uh, usually by the end of the game, and very rarely don't you. One team has you know ten power plays, the other one has one. I mean, it's pretty even. I think the breaks of the game usually you know even out if you continue to work hard and. And the way Craig handled that and just kind of washed it away and said, hey, it happened. You know, we'll, we'll look forward to the future. And that's exactly what he, what he was able to, to make sure the guys didn't worry about what had happened in the past. Bernie, you and others, anyone that we really talk to that's inside the Blues organization, when they talk about the hand pass game, they always attribute the mentality of the team to Craig Berube for setting that tone. But as Randy and I were talking about earlier in the show, it's human nature in that moment to want to look at the situation and the way it unfolded and point the blame and, and not blame yourself for coughing up a lead or closing out the game. And there's something really special about the, the way that Craig Berube looked at his team and said, hey, we're going to turn the page. We're not going to let this affect us. We're going to control this moving forward and they bought into that in that instant i can't imagine all the emotions that were going through the players at that time and the fact that they were able to put that aside and trust their coach i think is really rare so what do you think it is about craig berube and his relationship with his team that allowed the team to trust and believe him and follow his orders in that moment well, I just they, that's just his personality. I mean, Craig is one of those guys that, I mean, even you watch him behind the bench, he really doesn't get that upset or, or overly anxious or, or, you know, he's pretty even keeled out of, uh, uh, during the, the course of the whole game. And I think uh, uh, that's a, a trait that a coach that you want to have in a coach because I think a lot of times it's, there's so many up and downs uh, during the game that if you uh, you know start hearing the yelling from, from behind you when you're sitting on the bench, it kind of uh, maybe gets you off your game a little bit. But uh, I think Craig, because of he's so even keeled, and uh, you know he really believes in the guys, and and you know he's uh, for a guy that uh, played the game the way he played it, um, you know he's kind of soft spoken, and he's uh, he's got I think that that. Um, um, inner confidence in, in him that kind of spreads to, to the rest of the guys. So uh, I can't say enough about the way he handled the team last year. I mean, the guys love play, play, playing for him, and I, 
uh, anytime you have a coach that you like to play for, I mean, those are the guys that you want to make sure that uh, you want them to stick around for a long time. And I think you play harder for a guy that for a coach that you really like. And I think that you can see that from um, the way the guys play that they, that they really like Craig. Bernie, if hockey does come back, regardless of the format, and I guess the latest one now is that we would have a 24-team tournament and the, the regular season would end, how would you look upon the Stanley Cup champions for 2020? Well, it's still going to be the same. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, they've got 85% of the season is in. And, and when I look at that, um, you know, they deserve to have this, uh, you know, this run into the Stanley Cup, you know, final and, and really award a cup. I mean, obviously... Uh, there's health issues that if they can't have it and can't happen, I mean, the safety of the sport, the safety of the world is more important than, than awarding a trophy. But, uh, I mean, the guys have put a lot of work in. And, um, yeah, I think it's still going to be a little different. I mean, are we going to have a little asterisk at the end of this? I, I don't know. I mean, there's, you know, we always talk about to win a cup, you have to have the right breaks. You have to uh, avoid injuries. You have to have a lot of things happen. Well, that, uh, everybody's healthy now for the most part that because of the layoff now when they come back you know, all the teams are pretty healthy but the fact of the matter is still you still have to win uh, another 16 games to win the Stanley Cup uh, with, with that in place uh, you know you're going to have injuries you're going to have to have breaks you're going to have to have the same things happen so uh, I still think that if you go through a full Stanley Cup but even if they you know have to go to a best of five or or whatever it is I mean we when I go back to 86 with the uh uh, the first round was a best of five. It was not a best of seven. So there has been some different things. I mean, if you go back to the original Stanley Cups, there was only, you know, four teams made the playoffs. So you only had to win eight games to win the Stanley Cup. So things have changed. And um, whatever you have to do to award the Stanley Cup, I said, still, I don't think there's going to be any stigma about saying, well, this was the year that they, that, you know, somebody somebody wanted to, the wrong way. I mean, we, we had this strike short season where, they only played 48 regular season games and still awarded the Stanley Cup. So you still look at uh, having to win. You have to have to win that last game of the year to win the Stanley Cup. So I, I think no matter what happens, if we come back and play, uh, the Stanley Cup champ is still going to be the same Stanley Cup champ as, as he always has been. Bernie, I don't wonder if we'll look at whoever, if there is a Stanley Cup champion for 2020, if we won't years removed from this look back and point to that team and kind of hold them in a higher regard. Because when you think about hockey, especially down the stretch, so much of when you enter any sort of playoffs or, or especially the Stanley Cup playoffs is chemistry and it's momentum and it's finding your groove at the right time. And all of these teams, if and when they return, are, are coming in essentially ice cold. While everyone doesn't have that fatigue factor, you're going to have to shake off the rust and, and build up that chemistry and get that momentum back so i don't wonder if we'll look back and say in the absence of you know the hot team that entered the tournament if we won't kind of put this stanley cup champion aside and say that was a really tough group of people yeah there will be some uh, i i guess uh, people will talk that way about it because we mean uh, obviously it's nice to have momentum going in for the regular season but this is going to be just a little bit different so yeah i mean you're going to have to uh, you know, I think when you look at the Blues, uh, they waited until January to start their, their momentum um, to win the Cup last year. Well, they're going to have to turn it on right now, if you know, when, when it comes back. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many variables that play in and out of, of winning a Stanley Cup. And, and, and um, obviously, um, we all want to see this happen, and, and hopefully it is. But it's going to be a different scenario this time. And, and uh, it's still, yeah, maybe you're going to look back and say this maybe was the hardest one. And because for the guys right now, they're not on vacation right now. The guys are maybe sitting around. They're still working out. They're doing their things. But, you know, mentally they're still wanting to play the game right now. So um, 
when they come back and if they do come back and play, this is not like they had a little bit of an off season. So this could be the longest year, obviously, in the history of hockey. It could, who knows, and when is it going to end? But um, this is going to be this has been a very difficult year for for everybody going through all this and to come back and play and to be mentally sharp and physically sharp once again is going to be very very difficult. Bernie Federko, you're the best. Thanks so much for the time. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Randy Michelle. You guys have a great day. You too. See you later. That is the Hall of Famer, Bernie Federko, in the Blues booth here on 101 ESPN. Next up, we've got the fight for you. Stick around as uh, we will bring that to you with Freeze Pops and Michelle on 101 ESPN. Think you can beat down Carriker? We sure hope you can. The Fight with Carriker, brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's time for the fight. And before we welcome in our fighter, let's bring in Tommy Freeze Pops. Freeze Pops, what are we fighting over today? We are fighting for a gift card to Dog Prairie Tavern. Experience St. Paul's hidden gem as Dog Prairie Tavern is offering carryout food and drinks and is now open on their patio with a full menu and bar while practicing social distancing, of course. And for everyone not playing in the fight today, we also have a chance for you to score a gift card all week long on the 101 ESPN app. Enter the code word MEAT, M-E-A-T, MEAT. For One your more chance time. to win a gift card. Free- M-E-A-T. <laughs> Meat. Good word. For the people in the back. All right, Colin. <laughs> Randy has been on quite the streak here, getting a lot most of his questions right so far in the fight since we moved to the morning. What is his record? He is seven and one, but Tom took him down a peg yesterday. He did have one incorrect answer, so now he is 30 of 32 in his fight career here on Character and Smallman. So is Randy slipping a bit? I don't Ooh. know. Can I guess we'll find out today. I was going to say. All right. Well, let's welcome in Joe, our fighter. Joe, how are you feeling this morning? Uh, pretty good. Now, after Colin just let you know that Randy did, in fact, miss a question yesterday, are you feeling a little confident maybe he's missing a step? Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> I kind of figured I had to hit all four anyways, you know, so I'm going to try to do that. All right. Well, let's see if you can pull it off. Question number one, Joe. How many different positions did Jose Okendo play for the Cardinals in his career? Five, seven, or nine? Uh, Got to be nine. Question number two. Which National League team drafted Adam Wainwright in the 2000 MLB oh, draft? The no, Joe, well, there confident. We go. Pulling the trigger confident. early. All right, Joe, question number three. Before moving to Milwaukee, which city did the Brewers franchise call home for one season in 1969? Atlanta, Seattle, or Houston? I believe they were called the Seattle Pilots. Question number four. In the first version of the XFL in 2001, which player won the league's MVP award? Was it Tommy Maddox, He Hate Me, or John Avery? Oh, man. I know, a tough one. Uh, I'm just going to go with Maddox. Yeah, let's go with Maddox. All right, let's bring in Randy. Colin is going to retrieve him from the hallway. Joe, after you've received the questions, how are you feeling? Uh, Not too bad, not too bad. Okay, we'll see if it's enough to beat Randy. Here he is entering the room. Randy, while you get settled in, please say hello to your fighter today. This is Joe. Hey, Joe, how you doing? Uh, Pretty good. Hey, Randy. Good to have you with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Thank you. Ready? Ready. Question number one. How many different positions did Jose Okendo play for the Cardinals in his career? He played nine positions for the Cardinals. In fact, one day, I believe he played all of them. 
in one game. Hence the nickname Secret Weapon, no? Yeah. <laughs> I was at the game in 1988 where he pitched like three and two-thirds innings against Atlanta. And that think, actually happened today in 1988. Wow. Right? Oh, there okay. we go. That's how I came up with the question. Good one. Happy anniversary. <laughs> it was a late night. Question number two. Which National League team drafted Adam Wainwright in the 2000 MLB draft? His Atlanta Braves. It was his dream to play for the Braves, and then he got traded by him. <laughs> Question number three, Randy, before moving to Milwaukee, which city did the Brewers franchise call home for one season in 1969? That would have been Seattle. Question number four, in the first version of the XFL in 2001, which player won the league's MVP award? I don't think he hate me one. I'll have to do the lifeline here. Was it A, Tommy Maddox, B, he hate me, or C, John Avery? I think it was Tommy Maddox who actually wound up playing for the Rams here in St. Louis. I'll go with him. We have a winner. The winner and new champion of the fight, Average Joe Listener. You both got all four right. It was a clean sweep for Joe and Randy, so we defer to Joe. He is our champion today. Jose Okendo played nine positions for the Cardinals in his career at the Secret Weapon. Adam Wainwright was drafted by the Braves in the 2000 MLB draft. The Brewers called Seattle home for one season in 1969 before moving to Milwaukee. And Tommy Maddox won the league MVP award in the first version of the XFL in 2001. All right. Terrific. Thank you. And we will have you back with us tomorrow. Sounds good to me. All right. Congratulations on the win. Ty always goes to the to the listener, and uh, we'll do that again tomorrow. And if, Great. And the, the rule is, by the way, if you win three in a row against me, you go to the Fight Hall of Fame. And you win, good. You win nothing, just bragging rights, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. You're not going to recognize it, but, yeah, you know, it's there. Okay, exactly. <laughs> we will. Thank you very much, and we appreciate it as we roll on on Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. As we've mentioned, we have the hand pass game tonight, and uh, we have a lot of other cool things going on. Even though we don't have sports here at 101 ESPN, we're trying to help out all of those that are doing so much to help us through these times. And that includes Hubbard Radio's Deserving Deliveries, saying thank you to those helping care for our community. Today's Very Deserving Delivery is going to the great folks working at the St. Louis Police Department South Patrol and the St. Louis Fire Department. Their awesome staff will be joy- enjoying 100 meals today delivered by Favazas. Mm-mm-mm. Those meals are courtesy of Hubbard St. Louis and our good friends at E&B Granite. Thank you, E&B Granite, and our continued gratitude to all those great folks working in our medical community on the front lines from our station and the entire Hubbard St. Louis radio family. And we know a lot of you on the front lines are listening to Carriker and Smallman, and we do appreciate that. It really is remarkable how... and. and in sports, especially, we overuse the word hero. Oh, yeah. But uh, the heroic gestures of so many people on the front lines, whether it's first responders or uh, doctors and nurses, we have a lot of heroes at this time in America. We do. And I love that word, doing deserving deliveries and shouting out those heroes. Because in sports, you're right, we use hometown hero. We use hero oftentimes uh, about someone's actions on the field or on the ice. But these are people putting their lives at risk every day and saving Americans' lives every day. They are true American heroes. Coming up on Carriker and Smallman, it wasn't always a given that Michael Jordan was going to play for Jerry Reinsdorf's Birmingham Barons and perhaps the White Sox. We'll tell you who else he might have played for in baseball next. Next on 101 ESPN.
from the Times Herald in the Bay Area, an interesting story. Tony Larusa is upset, and that's because he never knew his days managing the A's almost included a rookie named Michael Jordan. <laughs> And obviously, we talked to Tony last week, and he is watching Last Dance, and he will watch the last couple of episodes on Sunday on ESPN. But on the debut, he was surprised to hear former A's general manager Sandy Alderson confess how he courted Jordan, even promising a major league roster spot. Tony talked about it and said, I wish Michael would have taken advantage of the opportunity. He said, when I saw Sandy had made that comment, that was the first I'd heard of it. He never mentioned it to me or the coaches. Maybe he wanted to see if there was a chance before he spread any rumors. He said, you know the athletic skills, and you would have evaluated how they translated into baseball. As an outfielder, we wouldn't have had any question about his ability to play defense or run the bases. Just how soon could you get his bat with its barrel to the ball? That would have been something. Tony has always been an outside-the-box thinker, baseball-wise, and... I know that he was really upset one time when the A's drafted a high school pitcher named Todd Van Poppel and gave him a major league contract and brought him right to the major leagues. But this would have been different because Jordan at the time was 30. He was an established uh, professional athlete. It would have been interesting to see how Tony would have used a guy like Michael Jordan. Oh, gosh. I mean, what could have been, right? We always talk about Tony La Russa and the, the fire and relentlessness and competitiveness that he had and that he translated into his teams. Imagine bringing Michael Jordan, who, as we've seen, as we've known, but has really been on display the past few weekends in the last dance, probably one of the most hyper-competitive people who ever lived. Imagine both of them existing oh. in the same clubhouse. Uh, that would have been tough for everybody else. And, and who do you think would win out in that scenario? Not that anyone would have to win out, but if, if both of them had differing opinions on something. In a baseball clubhouse, it would have been Tony. Yeah. Because I do. it appeared that Jordan subjugated himself for baseball. And we've mm-hmm. talked to several people that say he was humbled by baseball. It would have been different, though, if Tony goes in and Tony is trying to coach a basketball team, then Michael wins. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and to your point, it seemed like in the last dance I talked about Phil wanting to change up the structure of the team and implement the triangle offense. And Michael Jordan deferred to him. And maybe mm-hmm. not right away, but it's something that he eventually said, you're the coach. If you think that this is the right thing, I'll learn it and I'll do it. And this is totally Tony in the piece at the Times-Herald in the Bay Area. LaRusa loved how Jordan nonchalantly dropped a defining characteristic of success during Sunday's episodes when he said, winning has a price and leadership has a price. So I pulled people along when they didn't want to be pulled. Uh, LaRusa said, the truth of that comment, that's how you win. And that is so Tony, right? You get people to do things that they don't necessarily want to do, but it's for the greater good so that the team can win a championship. We've talked about Tony La Russa and the way that he approaches his players. And when he was on with us, what was it, last week, Mm -hmm. um, he spoke about how everybody in that clubhouse was a family. And while I totally believe that, and I believe that he treated everyone the same and everyone like a family, he also knew that it was a business. And he knew that he had to make tough decisions at any place and any time, and that people were not going to like him because of the decisions Mm -hmm. that he had to make. And he would push players in different ways. And he was unapologetic in the way that he handled his business. Because he knew that it was in every step that he took was a piece of the puzzle towards the championship. It's interesting with those two guys. And I want to go back first, Michelle, to what Wennington. It was, who else was with Wennington when they said, we didn't like playing with Michael and we didn't like Michael. But you have to say that what he did worked. Mm-hmm. And with Tony, 
I remember talking to Mark McGuire soon after he got here. And Tony obviously had left the A's after the 95 season. And McGuire said when he left, I was so relieved. I was so decompressed because I felt like I had a weight lifted off my shoulders because of that incessant day-to-day intensity that Tony brings to the entire franchise and especially the clubhouse. He said, but then we start playing in 95 and 96 and I realized I need that. I missed that Mm -hmm. because I wasn't doing everything that I, I needed to do to win, to be my very best, and I needed somebody to push me. And that's one of the reasons that he accepted a trade back to the Cardinals, and he calls Tony LaRusse his father because from a baseball standpoint, Tony is. Sometimes athletes want to get rid of that intense either teammate or manager or coach, and they don't realize how good they had it when they had that guy that was pushing them every day. Hindsight is always twenty twenty, mm-hmm. and you oftentimes don't know that you're in greatness or that you're in the peak or the right situation until you're removed from it, right? And I think with Tony La Russa, imagine being a player and knowing that every day you had to come and bring your A++ game. If you didn't, you were going to be held accountable and that that he was going to force you to give your all, whether it was a practice or a game. And that it was just, I mean, baseball is a long, they have a long season. You have to endure a lot. And in any circumstances, you have to endure a lot in a regular baseball season. Imagine coming to the ballpark every day and knowing that Tony LaRusso was there and that if you weren't at a 10, he was going to force you to be at a 10. And if you couldn't get to a 10, you were probably out of there. And it's interesting how, and I think this is in any walk of life, we've, we've both had intense bosses, and I think both of us have learned and appreciate that intensity, and we bring it to the job. But so many people, and by the way, one boss that we had, a lot of people didn't like because of his intensity, and they, they got away from it. You look at people that wanted to get away from Vince Lombardi with the Packers, or Dick Vermeil, especially with the Eagles, but to an extent here, and Bill Belichick, and... It's really difficult to replicate the success that you had when you're pushed by that guy. Sometimes it's good to get away from it, especially if you have a few rings. Brady, Mm -hmm. I'm sure, is going to be fine. But I I wonder how many people need that push and, like McGuire, ultimately miss being pushed like that because they can't be as good as they can be unless they have that every day. I'm sure in the immediacy of it, like McGuire said, it's a weight lifted off your shoulders. You feel like you can finally breathe and maybe have a little bit of fun. But how many people after they leave Belichick really have success? How many people after they would leave a Tony La Russa really had that success? And I wonder where the line of demarcation is. If, Like you said, if you're Tom Brady and you have all these championships and you can go to Tampa Bay and hang out with your friends and Bruce Arians and have a good time, if you win, that's a bonus. But you've earned the right to breathe. You've earned the right yeah. to have fun. And you'll savor it that much more because the, the expectations aren't there. But if you were on a Tony La Russa team and maybe you didn't win a World Series but you were close, or you were on a Belichick team and you didn't win a Super Bowl and you were close and it's something that you're still searching for and then you you step away from that coach and that environment because you want to breathe and then you realize I should have I should have just grinded it out because that is the cost of a championship that is the cost of greatness and by the way Michael did the right thing going to the minors and like Terry Francona said if he would have gotten 1500 at bats if you sign Michael Jordan to uh major league contract for the 1994 baseball season, he's an embarrassment. And then maybe the Sports Illustrated headline would have been right. But he was in the minors, he was being developed, and he did the right thing. Even if he had Tony and that great staff with Dave McKay and Dave Duncan and that entire group, 
there's no way that he could have gotten up to speed after not having played baseball for a dozen years and then all of a sudden showing up on a major league team. Mm-hmm. Tony would talk to us about Albert and how he was essentially perfect. And while Albert was perfect because of a lot of the things that he did on the field, I think some of the things that Tony was talking about in regards to Albert being perfect was the composition of him as a baseball mm-hmm. player and what, what he's made up of on in his brain and on the inside. I wonder if he had the chance to really manage Jordan and if they had that relationship. Because a lot of people have said if he would have gotten to the majors, we think he could have been successful. I wonder where Jordan would have ranked on La Russa's list of players that he would have managed because the stuff... Exactly. I don't have to ask that question. You already told me the answer. But what Michael is made up of mentally and what he has on the inside, you cannot replicate or duplicate that in any way, shape or often. Often, you know, what is that saying? Often replicated, never duplicated. duplicated. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, he had that in Albert, but Michael took it to a completely different level. And even though it probably didn't translate as well on the field or wouldn't have translated as well on the field, I wonder what it would have been like for Tony to be in that environment with him. And at that point in A's history, it kind of would have been a circus and a sideshow. And I would think that Tony would probably at some point resent that. Yeah, good point. Because you've got a guy that... You know, he he wants every, you know, he the superstars are the guys that perform the best. Well, Michael was going to be the superstar even if he never played. Mm-hmm. And we saw what happened to the minors. Can you imagine the, the Bay Area media and the accessibility of the San Francisco Bay and the, the media showing up at A's games so that they could be around Michael Jordan? That would have been a circus. It would have been a circus. And, gosh, I don't know how Tony would have dealt with that. But I do know that when you see people within the Barons organization talking about Michael and how he was the first guy there in Mm -hmm. the cage. He would do his obligations back in the cage, meet with the media back in the cage, that he had his hands were torn to shreds because he was working at his craft that much and he had this drive to be the best. I think even despite the circus, that's something that would have resonated with Tony and that he would have respected. Speaking of a circus, uh, they got their new clown suits in L.A. with the Rams. (laughs) We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN. That was the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.